Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So I want to start off by telling you the secret of comedy. Okay, that wasn't, that wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. Uh, I guess you're supposed to, oh, let's try it this way. Hey, uh, Eric, ask me what the secret of comedy is. Timing. Okay. So the thing is that the second one is better because nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait, right? No one goes on vacation to the DMV, right? I, I actually went to the DMV uh, this past week and it, it was not fun. Even And after I was waiting, uh, the, the situation was so complex that I was just sitting there, you know, with, uh, with the woman there. And we were just standing there for a while because they had, she had to, someone else had to go in the back and anyway, and now you're waiting for me to finish the story. So you can see that waiting is not fun, but often the scriptures instruct us to do what? To wait on the Lord. But what does that mean? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? I mentioned this story before, but uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I had just become a follower of Yeshua, and I had this idea. I would do a Bible study in Spanish for the folks that worked at the university, and I invited some folks and the leader of InterVarsity at Wesleyan. His name was Greg, and he knew a little bit of Spanish, and uh, he had led a lot of exploratory Bible studies, so uh, I thought it would be great. And the first day... Guess what happened? It was Greg and me, and I had my Spanish Bible, and we sat there, and we waited, and guess what? It, nobody came. It was just us two. That's right. And uh, so we waited a bit. We waited some more, and then, um, yeah, after a while, of course, we started uh, chatting, and he asked me, he asked me, uh, David, did you pray about this, you know, before you started, or did you just, like, just do it? And I said, um... Yeah, I just, I just kind of did it, <laughs> you know, because I was young in the faith. And he's like, well, that's OK. It'll give us it'll give us some time. So Greg and I had our own Bible study and uh, processing time and ended up being very fruitful and beautiful time. And it really blessed me. And uh, for subsequent Bible studies, I learned to pray first and try to get a sense of what God wanted to do uh, before jumping into it. And then, you know, subsequent Bible studies, we actually had folks show up, right? Because it was something that God wanted to do, but he just was trying to teach me about waiting on him. But I never, I never forgot the way that Greg, uh, he, he kind of gave me two things. One was he gently advised me to pray before starting an endeavor. And also how he encouraged me to use, use the waiting time, right? Productively, just the two of us. I had an idea that I thought was good, that it would be a blessing to others. But guess what? It didn't bear fruit right away. Sometimes things take time, right? And that's okay. That's okay. But we didn't just sit there waiting, right? We didn't just like look at each other. <laughs> we availed ourselves of the opportunity, uh, not only to fellowship, 
um, but to, to learn. And I also learned to seek the Lord first before jumping into something, even if it seems to be a godly choice, even if it seems to be, oh, this is surely something that God would want me to do. Yeah, but it's always good to, to, to follow him right into something. And this brings us into this week's Parsha. And this is how it opens, uh, Toldot, in Genesis 25, starting in verse 19. And we heard it a little while earlier, but let's remind ourselves. Now, these are the genealogies, the toldot of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old, like me, when he took for himself Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to Adonai on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Adonai answered his plea and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And then you have the story of Jacob and Esau, which I'm going to skip over for today, but you can read about it. It's very interesting, the birth of, of Jacob and Esau. And then at the very end, it says, Isaac was 60 years old when he fathered them. Interesting, right? The reason I included that last bit was to show how long Isaac waited for children. He was 40 when he married Rebekah and 60 when he had Jacob and Esau. Where are my young mathematicians? Right? So, David, how, how much time is that? Between 60, uh, 40 and 60? 20 years. That's right. Okay. You get a Torah point. All right. That's a long time to wait for children, isn't it? Yeah? Are you with me? Yeah, it's a long time to wait. Um, taking a step back, uh, to look at the other narratives, we noticed that all the matriarchs experienced barrenness at a certain point, difficulty in bearing children. And all the couples handled it differently. Isaac's story in many ways is a, is a repeating of his father Abraham's story. They both experienced famine. They both experienced barrenness. They both say that their wife is their sister out of fear. I don't recommend that, by the way. Uh, they both argue with the inhabitants of the land over wells. It's in the same area, often with the same people. But in the case of not having a child uh, immediately, Isaac responds very differently than Abraham. Let's take a look back at how Abraham and Sarah handled it. Now, Sarai, or Sarah, Abram's wife, had not borne him children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, look now, Adonai has prevented me from having children. Go please to my slave girl. Perhaps I'll get a son by her. Abram listened to Sarai's voice from Genesis 16. Now, the Bible doesn't record Abraham's response, but I imagine it to be something like this. Uh, okay. So is Abraham waiting on the Lord or is he getting ahead of God? The pain, there's pain here. The pain of wanting a son causes them to abuse Hagar. In contrast, Isaac waits by entreating the Lord. It's active, trusting waiting. We can turn against our brother and sister to handle the pain like Abraham and Sarah did. And they did a lot of other things that were great. You know, he's our, he's our patriarch. But in this instance, I, I think Abraham missed it. Um, so we can turn against our brother and sister to handle the pain, or we can turn toward the Lord and trust like Isaac did. 
In this case, I think Abraham and Sarah are, are getting ahead of God. Oh, surely God would want us to have a son. Let's, let's just do this, right? Isaac and Rebekah are getting before the Lord, right? Not ahead of the Lord, but before the Lord. What position are we going to take when we encounter the lack of fruitfulness, when we're in a holding pattern, in a holding position? Are we going to get ahead of God or are we going to get before God? When we don't have enough, when we're lacking, when the promises of God seem to be taking a while, it causes us to have anxiety. Anxiety is part of living in a world that's not Eden anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, we're not in Eden anymore, right? But the key is, how do we respond to barrenness, to not getting what we expect when we expect it? Like Isaac, we don't have to make the same choices as our parents did, as the previous generation, or even the same choices we made last week, right? We can change. Like Isaac, we can actively wait, right? We can wait by trusting and not trying to manipulate others to get what we want. So we see that waiting on the Lord is not the same as waiting at the DMV, right? <laughs> it's a different kind of waiting. We actually make godly choices. We pray. We continue to treat others with love and compassion, even in our pain. And it's hard, but that's what we should do. The medieval uh, rabbinic commentary, uh, Radak, says this about Isaac. I, I really like this commentary. He prayed long and hard and asking, uh, he prayed long and hard asking that his wife should bear a child, seeing that he loved her very dearly and would not consider marrying anyone in addition to her. He would not even consider taking any of Rivka's handmaids as a partner, as his father Abraham, who had married Hagar. As a result of all this prayer, Rivka did finally become pregnant. So we see so far that waiting on the Lord means not getting ahead of God, trusting him in prayer and making godly choices. While Isaac waited in a godly way, just one generation earlier, Abraham and Sarah did not. They chose to abuse their enslaved servant, Hagar, out of their own barrenness and out of their own hurt. There's a saying, you know, you may know it, hurt people hurt people. I think we can modify it, perhaps, to say that hurt people can hurt people if they don't process that hurt before God, if they don't manage their hurt maturely. When we encounter barrenness, famine, lack, pain, frustration, the temptation is to shift that pain to someone else, especially someone we love, or we put the burden of uh, blame and shame on ourselves, right? But Isaac responds differently. He prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife. And that's a really interesting word in the Hebrew, the behalf of his wife. Some translations and rabbis explain in the Torah uh, that the Torah says he prayed facing his wife or that the Hebrew means they both prayed together. They prayed, he prayed in front of his wife and she prayed too. Isaac is separating the issue of the lack of a son uh, as its own unique problem. He's not placing the burden of blame on his wife and he's not placing the burden of blame on himself. This is a mature way of handling pain and barrenness. It's not easy, but Isaac gives us a, a great model. The realm of the wilderness is the realm of the anxious, the unknown. When we were 40 years in the desert, we didn't starve. 
but we did have to wait, right? We had to wait for food. The wilderness is famine and it's lack, but God is sovereign over that because what do we have to eat? What do we eat in the desert? Manna. That's right. Okay. Whoever, who said that? All right. Torah point. Very good. (laughs) All right. The rabbis wondered uh, why we didn't get all the manna at once, right? A a whole year's supply. Wouldn't that have eased our anxiety, right? So we don't have to wait for it every day. Um, But here's a a section from the Talmud. This is from Yoma 76a, where they, the rabbis ponder this question. Furthermore, with regard to the manna, the students of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai asked him, why didn't the manna fall for the Jewish people just once a year to take care of all their needs instead of coming down every day? He said to them, I will give you a parable. To what does this matter compare? To a king of flesh and blood who has only one son. He granted him an allowance for food once a year, and the son greeted his father only once a year when it was time for him to receive his allowance. So he arose and granted him his food every day, and his son visited him every day. So too, in the case of the Jewish people, someone who had four or five children would be worried and say, perhaps the manna will not fall tomorrow, and we will all die of starvation. Consequently, everyone directed their hearts to the Father in heaven every day. The manna that fell each day was sufficient only for that day, so that all the Jewish people would pray to God for food for the next day, unquote. This Midrash in the Talmud, is, it's not literal, it's a parable, right? Just like Yeshua tells parables. But it shows how being in the wilderness, the realm of, of barrenness, causes us to enter into trust with God. Reading this part of the Talmud remi- reminded me of Yeshua's instructions on how to pray, how to wait on the Lord and trust him when we are in the desert. It's, it's in the famous, uh, it's often called the Lord's Prayer. And he says what? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And that evokes trust because I think Yeshua is referring to the wilderness, right? When we were getting the manna every day from heaven, letting God lead us in a strange land and letting God provide for us. The idea from both the, the Midrash and from the New Covenant Scripture is that God uses lack. He uses lack to draw us into a relationship uh, and to draw us into trust and prayer. You know, I, uh, I waited for a wife <laughs> for a while. And then uh, when we got married, I waited for a son for a while. Right. Sonia and I have been married uh, seven years and our son was born. And uh, as I was waiting, I drew nearer to God in those wilderness times. And I bet, you know, if you think back on times when you were waiting, you, you probably drew near to the Lord. Is there an amen out there somewhere? You, can you? Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> um, or amen, I guess, in Hebrew. Uh, God wants to be able to teach us, to lead us. God wants to be able to make the decisions in our lives. What job should I apply for? Who should I marry? How should I use my strengths and my energy and my time? Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean just, right? Just sitting there. It means seeking his counsel, trying to get a sense of his will for our lives and not getting ahead of him. It means not turning against others. And it means not turning against ourselves when we experience troubles, looking for someone to place the burden of blame 
Rather, we bring the issue before the Lord, perhaps together with our brother and sister, and actively wait, actively wait by hoping in the Lord. We recognize that the problem is separate from our identity. We are not the problem. We don't try to find a scapegoat, but we move toward trusting God to bring us through. And this brings us to the new covenant reading for this week. Um, Andrew read Matthew 3, but it also includes uh, Matthew 4. Yeshua is led into the wilderness for 40 days by the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, and is tempted by the adversary or the accuser. As a Messianic Jewish congregation, we see Yeshua as the Israelite who did it right. Why would the Holy Spirit lead him to an area of lack? an area of famine because the Israelites spent 40 years there and Yeshua spends 40 days there. He redeems that experience of Israel because when we were in the desert, what did we do? Come on, people. We complained, we kvetched, we put God to the test and Yeshua, of course, does the opposite. Even quoting the Torah to the adversary You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. The earlier generation made bad choices. They waited in the desert the wrong way. (laughs) They waited by complaining, and they came against Moses, and they even came against God. But like Isaac, Yeshua makes a new choice. The adversary tries to bring up all these issues. He's bringing up the, the, the famine, the barrenness, the lack. You're hungry, right? But uh, let's take a look at the new covenant Parsha for ourselves and see if you can notice a new kind of waiting, it's similar to what, what Isaac did in the, uh, in the Torah. Then the spirit led Yeshua up into the wilderness to be tempted by the adversary. After Yeshua had fasted 40 days and nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, order these stones to become bread. But he answered, the Tanakh says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. Matthew's gospel mentions how hungry he was. You notice that at the end of 40 days. And if it were me, I would have not just been hungry. I would have been hangry. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. All right. I'm not just talking to myself here. Okay. It's a combination of hungry and angry. You get hangry, right? And you get a little snippy, you know? I know that happens to me. Um, But uh, like in the Midrash, in in the Talmud, and like Isaac, here Yeshua is redirecting his hunger toward trust. The Israelites complained about the manna in the wilderness. Yeshua is giving the response of trust that Israel was supposed to give. He is walking out the story of Israel um, in, in, in the wilderness, he's walking out, uh, the same, the same time frame, right? It's 40 years and 40 days, but this time he's walking it out with faithfulness and trust. The lack in the desert is an opportunity to rely on God by living on his word, right? We live, we live not on bread, but on his word when his, his, we live on his promises when things get tough, Sometimes we get short-sighted when we get hungry or especially when we get hangry, right? So let's expand our vision when we're in the desert to lean on God. So let's continue the the new covenant Parsha. 
So then the adversary took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, jump. For the Tanakh says he will order his angels to be responsible for you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not hurt your feet on the stones. Yeshua replied to him, but it also says, do not put Adonai your God to the test. You see, Israel tested God in the wilderness with their quarreling and dealing with their problems through blaming and shaming Moses and even God. The rest of the quote from the Torah says, because Yeshua is quoting Deuteronomy, he's quoting the Torah. And the rest of it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Right away, you can tell this is a reference to something that Israel did earlier. Uh, and in fact, it refers to Exodus 17, when the Israelites questioned whether Hashem was with them or not, right? Or is, he, is God even with us, right? He took us out. We're, we're in the desert. It was so much better back in Egypt, right? When we were enslaved. Uh, I don't think so. So they asked Moses why he brought them out of Egypt to die of thirst, Right? They were complaining for lack of water. This is after God took them out of Egypt and after he gave them manna and after you know the 10 plagues or the 10 signs, right? And, uh, and still, still they were testing God to see if he would take care of them. I think Abraham and Sarah, in this case, test God in a similar way, right? Getting ahead of God, manipulating others uh, for their gain to deal with the, to deal with the pain. The Israelites tested God to deal with the anxiety of being in the wilderness, the anxiety of being thirsty. This is a human response. It's normal. But Yeshua shows us there's another way. Don't get ahead of God. Get before God. Okay, let's see the final temptation. Once more, the adversary took him up to the summit of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and said to him, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Away with you, Satan, Yeshua told him, for the Tanakh says, worship Adonai your God and serve him only. Then the adversary left him, let him alone and the angels came and took care of him. Worshiping God reminds us who we are. Reminds us who God is, you know, just standing and sitting in the sanctuary this morning and worshiping God through the liturgy and through the music. I, I, I felt transformed. I had, there's certain things going on in my life and I felt the Lord sovereignty over them. I felt his comfort. I felt him speaking to me in by his still small voice. When we worship God, it reminds us that he's, our father and he's our king. And then the, the issues don't seem as big. The issues don't seem as big. It changes our perspective. The final piece of waiting I think is worship. And that's what Yeshua is, is trying to teach us here. Israel in the wilderness. What did we do? Unfortunately, we worship the golden calf, right? And then later on, we worship these other gods, these other forces. And we had the mindset of wanting to go back to Egypt where they, they believed in these, these false gods. And uh, that's, that's really, it's enslavement is really what it is. I mean, literally, that's what we were longing for. It doesn't make any sense, right? The desert place of anxiety got to them. It got to them to the point where they allowed other things, other so-called gods to have power over them. But when we worship the Lord, right? 
we get into the right frame of mind, right? And we know who God is and we know who we are. And we know that we're not the same as our problems, right? We're not, it's the problem is here and we're here. We don't have to put the problem on someone else. We don't have to put the problem on us. We can put the problem before the Lord. Okay. So by contrast, Yeshua quotes the Torah to explain that Israel and all of us should respond to lacking and fruitlessness through worship, through prayer. Also, let's remember just the fact that Yeshua simply quotes the Torah in this situation, right? Let's not forget that. This shows how Israel was supposed to respond to the wilderness, to barrenness, to famine. How do we respond? We respond with scripture. <laughs> so how do we get the scripture in us? Well, we've got a snack on it. Who, who likes to snack? Yeah. All right. So we got to not only snack on, you know, um, peanuts and things, but we got to snack on the word. <laughs> right. Um, because if the son of God did it, we should probably be doing it too. Right. He, he quoted the, the Torah. And so we have to have the Torah in us. Yeshua and even Isaac responded to barrenness and pain with mature trust, leaning into the Torah and godly behavior. And so should we. He shows that we don't have to make the same mistakes of previous generations. We don't have to make the same mistakes of even our own history. We wait on God in the barrenness by trusting him in prayer, avoiding blaming and shaming, learning from the past, and waiting productively and deliberately according to God's leading. We wait on God by worshiping God alone and not other forces, by separating our identity from our problems, and by recalling his promises in the Torah and the new covenant. We wait on God by not getting ahead of him, but getting before him. We wait on God by making compassionate choices and not shifting our pain to others or back onto ourselves. All right. Let's pray. Avinu, our Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us these awesome lessons in your Torah. We thank you for um, even the mistakes that Abraham made um, that show that he's he's a person like us. Um, although he was a giant of the faith, and he's our he is uh, in some ways our father. And we thank you for um, the different choices that Isaac made, and how we can learn from that as well. And uh, we thank you for um, the fullness of your promises being brought to bear in Yeshua and showing us really the way, um, the way to be uh, a, a Jew or, or a Gentile, Lord, the way as, as we follow him by, uh, by trusting you, Lord, um, because you are faithful to us and uh, you have given us um, ways to manage our barrenness, ways to manage manage our pain that are compassionate, Lord, and help us to um, to to prayerfully wait, to wait um, uh, productively, Lord, and uh, help us to uh, to trust you in all things, Lord, no matter what we're going through right now, to be uh, trusting and to be uh, to put our our needs and our uh, desires before you, Lord, and to, to, to really hear from you before we move forward. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.